There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. A man with an overactive imagination takes over a UHF station and turns it into the most popular TV channel in town. Two special guests join us this week to discuss how to make living on a prayer funnier, the wrong way to clean your glasses, and a terrible idea for a Billy Joel parody. Then we find out if UHF stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very special episode of the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and I am joined by three other people. My co-host, James, you're here too. Hey, everyone. I figured I'd join the podcast since I've co-hosted every other one so far. I think that was a smart decision on your part. That's right, and uh, joining us is no stranger to the show, uh, my sister Joanna Brief, member of... The Five Timers Club of the Test of Time. Woo! Yes, welcome back, Joanna. Honored, happy to be here. This is your fifth appearance, so this is very, very special. And this episode is also very special because my son is here with us, too, also to talk about UHF. Hello, listeners. Now, you have been on the show before, and we have called you by this code name, Fred Weasley. Yes. Why did you pick Fred Weasley, by the way? Because I think I was pretty into Harry Potter, and Fred Weasley was my favorite character from Harry Potter. Interesting favorite character. He's Ron Weasley's older brother, but, like, they're twins. So, like, how is Fred different from his brother, his twin brother? Well, I think George dies, and Fred doesn't in the seventh book. I think you're right. Well, regardless. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Very true. Regardless, we called you by that code name before, but you're going to be here this entire episode talking about UHF, so let's call you by your real name and welcome you to the show officially, Eli Noah. Yay! Yay! Welcome, Eli. Welcome. So a a five-timer guest and a first-time guest. Well, kind of. You've been on the show a little bit, but never to talk about an entire movie start to finish. And I believe my first appearance on The Test of Time was three years ago, almost to the day. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Wow. Very impressive. I celebrate the anniversary of my first appearance in The Test of Time podcast every year with a cupcake. As you should. Welcome, the whole Test of Time family. It's growing. We've got an 11-year-old here, this Mm -hmm. young man here. And, you know, he is on the cusp of not just being a young man, but a teenager. Mm -hmm. He would be considered a tween. 
right now, I believe, at 11 years old. Right, right. Yes, that's a terrible term that nobody... Uh, <laughs> I mean, don't you cringe when you hear that, Joanna? A tween. Yeah. Do you like that term, Eli? No, it just sounds like a baby version of a teen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but exactly. he will be a teenager. And as a father, you've never been a father of a teenager. Is that correct? That is correct. And, you know, you got this guy here, you know, you guys go to Mets games together, and did you go to the premiere of all the Star Wars sequel trilogies? Like, or at least opening weekend, probably, right? Yes, every new Star Wars movie that's come out, we have seen right away, uh, you know, most of the Marvel movies, I think starting with Black Panther, right, we've seen in the theater right away. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a good dad. I do what I'm supposed to, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very convincing. All right, well, you know, I thought of something. This is a little sneak peek of your teenage rebellious son. And I figured I'm going to help him out here. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to say, you know, that time that you're, you're really mad at Dad. You want to go out, but he's telling you to do your homework. You don't understand me, Dad. No one understands me. And you go and listen to music in your room. But if you really, really want to get to your dad... I have a couple things that'll really, really get to him. I don't like this at all. So I prepared this list, and it's a list of uh, five things that Eli could say. These are insults to uh, to your dad. All right, Eli, number five. Dad, I've always been more of a PlayStation kind of a guy. <laughs> that was very hurtful, and I know that's not true. <laughs> I have I have video of you playing the Nintendo Wii U when you're like three years old. So whatever. He's been faking it. No. All this time. No. Number four. Dad, which part of this are you mad about? I've decided that the day I turn 18, I'm getting a tattoo on my forehead. And it's going to be of my favorite movie ever, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, <laughs> your uh, physical wait, okay. pain in his face. There, there's no way that you would get a tattoo. I've seen you get a shot. There's no way you're getting a <laughs> face tattoo. No way. I don't buy it. But by the time he's 18, it'll be basically a, a, like a sticker that'll put on. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the theme of this tattoo. It'll be like a picture of like the aliens because that's his favorite part. All right, he hasn't seen that movie yet, so you just spoiled it, jerk. <laughs> But also you didn't because the movie's terrible and I, you don't need to see it. Anyway, no, you're not doing that. I don't care. I don't care if you're 18. You're not doing it. Hey, Eli, it looks like these are pretty effective. So <laughs> yeah. I don't okay. like this game at all. Number three. One day I'm going to name my firstborn son after the greatest and funniest guy I know, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> um, no, no, that's not true. That's not a thing that you would ever say because you have a good sense of humor and you will not find Seinfeld funny. Like me. And like most people. Okay, well, we'll see about that. And number two. Hey, Dad, I forgot. What's the name of the one good song by Bon Jovi? Oh, wait. There are none. Oh! oh look at him. Look at his burn unit. <laughs> but I know that that's not true because you and I have sung multiple different Bon Jovi songs together in the car. And was this in the car on the way to, say, getting ice cream or something? No. I think he was playing you. Nope. Definitely not. And what do you sing for the chorus of Living on a Prayer? Squidward on a chair. Have you heard that? That's like a thing some kids say. Maybe he's saying, I improved this song that I don't think is perfect right now, Dad. Yeah, it makes it more funny. Oh! Oh! That was not written by me. (laughs) Third degree burns. That's true. It does make it more funny. It doesn't make it better. It makes it funnier. 
Alright, okay, let's go. Now this one, you really need to get him. He took away your cell phone and he's like, Eli, it's my house and there's nothing you could do about it. And he's laughing in your face, your cell phoneless face. What are you going to say? Number one, go for it. Star Wars? More like Star Bores. Oh! oh! Shots fired. I mean, you ever say that to me and you think you're going to get your cell phone back? Ha! <laughs> Those are pretty good. I think I'll have to get the cell phone back because I'll have to call the burn unit. Oh! <laughs> Al, I've never seen you look so pained and hurt like soul butt hurt your soul's <laughs> butt is hurt right now <laughs> I, I i do not approve of this game i do not approve of any of this um this was a terrible idea Eli, let's go home no okay let's, well, let's talk quickly. about uhf first quickly All before right. you go home let's quickly talk about this little film that you've mentioned once or twice or 250 times i mean i love uhf because i love weird al eli you also love weird al is that fair to say yes but I want to ask you, Joanna, because you requested this movie first before Eli did. And then when Eli found it and loved it, he wanted to come on too. But what does this movie mean to you? It's so interesting that you brought Eli along today because I saw this movie when I was about your age, Eli. It came out when I was about 12 years old and it went completely under the radar. And I saw it on VHS at Amy Levitt's house and she was kind of like a a weird, quirky friend of mine at that age. And I'd never seen anything like this at this point in my life. And I was about 12 and this just like blew my brains out of my skull into a million different directions because I really had never grasped humor like this before. And this friend of mine from that era also introduced me to uh, Monty Python. And I actually kind of think they're a little bit similar. It's very cartoonish, very physical, a lot of really cartoonish displays of ultraviolence, like the mm -hmm. splitting down the middle of the guy in the library. And right. it had a, I think it had a major effect on my life because I was really young. I was a tween myself <laughs> back in 1989. And I'd never seen anything like it before. And it took me a long time until I saw anything that absurd again, other than Monty Python. And it wasn't like now that you could just watch stuff on demand or streaming. It was a VHS that my friend got and it never left my head. And I've been watching it over the years. I was watching it last night and I was just laughing, probably louder than I've ever laughed watching this movie before. Wow. I think it's just, it's hilarious. And I'm really glad to see that the youth of America still appreciate it. So you had seen it uh, years ago, shortly after it came out. I had never seen it, actually, uh, until this viewing. This was my first time watching it. What? That's right. I mean, Ridiculous. I'm a fan of Weird Al. I like his music. I love his polkas. And Al, you introduced me to those. And uh, probably Polka Your Eyes Out. Is that one of his first ones? Uh, or not one of his first alternative ones. alternative but... polka. Like one of those, I, I really got into it. But Eli, you've seen this film several times. Yes. Is this one of these, like, to me, like, Back to the Future, Star Wars, I've just always known? Is this is this something you've been watching since you were, like, really little? Um, I think I probably started watching the movie when I was, like, nine, ten years old. Oh, so a little more recent. Yes. And did you have a similar reaction to Joanna, like, like it blew your mind kind of a thing? Yes, it made me laugh so much, and it had 
Weird Al, which is my favorite music artist. I never knew that he had ever acted, which was surprising. That also means you've never seen The Naked Gun before. No. That's a cameo. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's... Weird Al is a small little like two-second role in The Naked Gun. So the movie, for anyone who, like you, James, hadn't seen it before, is about George Newman, played by Weird Al. He's a daydreamer who becomes the manager of a small television station. When his wacky ideas unexpectedly cause the station's ratings to skyrocket, he becomes a target of the nefarious network executive of a competing channel. Will the evil rich guy win in the end, or will good triumph? Now, I do not need to ask you if this was a box office hit, because I know all things Weird Al, and I know all about the trivia, and I know that this was a huge bomb. It came out in a summer of a lot of huge blockbuster movies, 1989, and this movie was in and out of theaters in weeks. Two weeks, to be uh, precise. Yeah. Yeah, a huge uh, sequel opened this weekend, July 21st, 1989, Lethal Weapon 2. Mm-hmm. Then you had Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson. Actually, I think it was Bill Nicholson, Keaton. Probably. I'm Batman at number two. Number three, When Harry Met Sally. Number four, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You ever seen that one, Eli? Yes, I have. Yeah, the great Rick Moranis, he's in that. Mm-hmm. Number five, License to Kill which is a James Bond film starring Timothy Dalton. Right, one of two. Uh-huh. Then there's Peter Pan. Uh, number seven, a great film, Dead Poets Society. We'll review that someday. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Apparently not Eli's favorite uh, Indiana Jones film. Or by the time he's 18. Doesn't Sorry, compare to the Christmas It could song. be right now. I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Stop talking. Number nine, Ghostbusters 2, Al's favorite sequel ever. I don't think that's true. Number 10, Weekend at Bernie's. We did review that, and uh, that film beat the hell out of the number 11 film that week, UHF. I mean, you have to put it in context that Orion, which is the, the movie studio that made this movie, they went out of business before the movie came out, so they didn't have any marketing budget. So this movie, like, wasn't promoted at all, and it was going up against all of those other huge movies. So it was kind of destined to fail. Interesting trivia, though, before Orion went out of business, they did a test screening for this movie, and it was amazing. The audience loved it. They said it was their best test screening since RoboCop, which was a huge hit for Orion Pictures. They thought that UHF was going to save Orion. They really thought it was going to be the biggest hit for them, and they went out of business before the movie even opened, and then the movie bombed. So it didn't really work out as planned, but uh, Orion had very high hopes for this movie. Yeah, and it wound up finishing with $5 million, which was basically around its budget. So to be fair, though, like you said, there was there was no advertising budget. So mm-hmm. yeah, the film probably lost money, but uh, eh, you know, maybe streaming, maybe in the end it made a dollar. Well, it has become a cult classic. It found an audience on VHS and on airings. And for a long time, you couldn't even get a VHS. Like your friend, what was her name? Oh, Amy Levitt, yeah. Okay, yeah. So Amy Levitt was lucky that she had a VHS tape. A lot of people couldn't find it. They were going for hundreds of dollars on eBay because they were out of print. There was no studio to make more of them. And it wasn't until I think the movie's like 25th anniversary when they finally put it on DVD It was just, like, not a thing you could get your hands on for a really long time. If you're listening, uh, Amy Levitt, you might want to hold on to that VHS tape. It could be worth money. 
Amy Levin and I stopped being friends in like 1990. <gasps> so I saw this with her like right when it must have gotten on VHS. Like, I guess she got it at the video store or something. And you're right, Al, because uh, user Kelly's Corner Store 823 <laughs> just sold uh, their copy of UHF on VHS for $36 plus $289 shipping. I would have expected a little bit more, but... That's I, a lot for VHS. It's like if VHS true. are used for, like, uh, you know, propping up uh, wobbly tables. This is true. I will hope, though, that, Joanna, you and Amy Levitt use this as an opportunity to reconnect and mend whatever fences were damaged in this 1998. Is gonna, this is going to right all the wrongs in the past. It's, fasc- <laughs> it's fascinating re- reading about the box office because I always wondered... You know, I knew it was a weird, quirky movie, and, like, usually mainstream stuff is not compatible with that kind of stuff. But I always wondered why this movie wasn't more well-known. And the fact that it got its brains beaten out by all these other major blockbusters has something to say about that. Still tragic. Still think it's a better movie than Stupid Dead Poet Society. Boo! When (laughs) Harry Met Sally? Come on! You picked the two amazing films from that I mean, it's it's No Weekend at Bernie's or (laughs) Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Well, one of the movies that beat this movie was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And UHF opens with a parody of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Orion did put out a teaser trailer. I don't know if you've seen that. It's on the DVD. But it's basically just like a Indiana Jones type trailer. And you think it's for the new Indiana Jones movie that people knew was coming out. But then it's the reveal where he turns around and it's Weird Al, not Harrison Ford. Uh, But it's an extended, basically, dream sequence that opens the movie. And it's a pretty funny parody of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love when he's in the cave and there's all of the signs everywhere, you know, like the the stop danger. One of the signs says uh, severe tire damage, (laughs) which is just like objectively funny. Danger falling rocks. Right, right, right. When all the rocks start falling and then the giant boulder comes and chases Weird Al around and it's pretty bad looking green screen. But it still just works as comedy as he's running in front of, you know, the Sphinx. He's running on a snowy mountain and then he's running onto a city street and the boulder like makes a like sharp left turn. Like that shouldn't work. But it's just funny. It just works. I think that when they show Weird Al running from the boulder and they show like all of like the seven wonders of the world, I think it's supposed to be. Like a bad green screen, I think they're kind of making fun of how bad it is. I think that was like kind of the point there. I'm not totally sure about that. I I mean, the movie had a $5 million budget, and I think there are certain points where they might have liked to have spent a little bit more money on special effects. But I think it kind of works because the gag is the gag, and it doesn't have to look amazing. Like, you know it's fake. I think they're comparing it to what was anticipated as the big sequel of the summer, which was Last Crusade. Yeah, I agree. I think it was done uh, tongue-in-cheek probably. But it does look funny in this era because you look at some movies from 1989 and you will see really bad green screen like that. So sometimes it is that bad, but not on purpose. Right, right. But then we cut to the real George Newman, who's working as a guy who's making hamburgers at a fast food place. And 
he and his friend Bob are fired. Uh, Bob is played by David Bow, not David Bowie. There's not an I in the last name. Uh, we saw him in the movie Heavyweights, and I was excited to see him. He's not a huge actor, but he pops up from time to time in things. And they are thrown out of this restaurant by the owner, I guess, Big Edna. He throws them out like uh, Fresh Prince style, the way they used to throw uh, jazz out of the mansion. Like, they are thrown uh, and they land like a Looney Tunes character. Why was Bob fired? Because he's friends with George? That's a good question. (laughs) Oh, speaking of, I read that, uh, you know, who else was offered that role? Yes, I do know. Who was offered that role? Your favorite? Jerry Seinfeld. And he turned it down. Biggest mistake of his life. But there is, of course, another... Jerry Seinfeld connection to this film. Yes, yes. When we get to Stanley Spadowski, mm-hmm. we will talk about him. Uh, just going back, because you mentioned Fresh Prince. Do you get that reference, Eli? No, not uh, at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a TV show, uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I know what The French Prince, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is. Uh, well, okay, good. But yeah, they, they would throw the Fresh Prince's friend Jazz out of the house. Uh, But after George and Bob are fired, they go back to George's apartment. And he basically lives in the same building as a karate studio. The studio is owned by a character named Kuni, played by Gede Watanabe, who we've seen in 16 Candles. And it's just kind of like a funny gag that you wouldn't want to live in the same building as a karate studio. Yeah, with kids uh, flying out the window. (laughs) Right, right. A lot of people and animals too later just go flying out of the window in this movie yeah this film was from 1989 and i was like oh this is a simpsons gag like oh you live above and below a bowling alley but i realized no this film was first and then there's other things like there's parody commercials that i'm like oh this is straight out of family guy or rick and morty and probably these writers have seen this film so it really seems like almost like a live action one of these absurd uh, cartoons in some way I think so. I mean, I think the movie is filled with parodies and it's filled with references. And we were talking about the Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. I think that this movie does do a pretty good job in terms of picking references that have stood the test of time. Indiana Jones, I mean, they're making a fifth movie now. Why? But they are. A lot of these references do kind of work. When George is talking to his girlfriend, Terry, played by Victoria Jackson, there's a reference to Close Encounters of the Third Kind when George is, like, molding the mashed potatoes. I know that you know that reference, Eli, because I've told you that reference. You haven't seen Close Encounters, but have you heard of that movie outside of me telling you about it? Um, yes. Wasn't it directed by Steven Spielberg? Yes, it was. Very Very good. I'll show you that someday if you want. I'm not sure that you'll love it, but maybe. I could be wrong. And by the way, the fifth Indiana Jones film, I don't know if you're aware of it, Spielberg's not directing it. Yes, I know. Yeah, it's going to be directed by James Mangold, who is coming off of, like, amazing films. Logan? Uh, Logan was fantastic, but he's done a lot of of good films. Yeah. Um, So I think it's going to be good. I don't know that I really want to see an 81-year-old Harrison Ford punching Nazis or commies or whatever. He's not going to punch Nazis. He's going to punch hippies. No, I have no oh, idea. Jesus. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this movie is really parody heavy. And I, I, rewatching it again, I think most of the parodies still hold up because they're classics like Indiana Jones. I think one of the only ones that doesn't is unfortunately the great song, the Dire Straits one about the Beverly Hillbillies. Nobody really knows the Beverly Hillbillies. 
I mean, the song is great in the video. I mean, everybody our age, no, not you, knows the uh, Dire Straits video that it was parodying. But the concept of the Beverly Hillbillies themselves, like, I think that was even before our time. Yeah, that was something that was like on Nick at Night, maybe. I have watched a grand total of zero episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies yeah. in my life. Oh, yeah, it was an Same. old person Nick at Night show to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think... Weird Al liked the show, and so that's why he did that parody. I will say, though, that Brothers in Arms, the Dire Straits album that Money for Nothing is on, is one of the top-selling albums in England still. Money for Nothing is still played on classic rock radio, and the animation in that video looks straight out of Minecraft. So, like, it doesn't look that dated to me. I don't know. You tell me, Eli. What do you think? Um, I guess it doesn't look that dated. I could see it being a music video, but I feel like music videos now usually just have the person in there. They don't have, like, other characters. They would usually just have the singer and some other dancers. That's fair. I mean, I haven't watched new music videos in a while. I also feel like new music videos aren't as much of a thing now. I mean, they still make them and they go on YouTube and it's a good way for artists to promote their music. But, you know... Back when I was a boy, you know, like you would watch MTV and when there was like a new Michael Jackson video, that was like huge and everyone would watch it and everyone would be talking about it. Exactly. Like it was a thing where you would just like watch MTV for hours and hours hoping to see that one music video that you liked, but you would also see other music videos and it was just like a thing that people did. Now, if you want to see the new Cardi B video, you'll just look it up on YouTube and watch that and then be done with it. Do you just pity us so much, Eli, for our lame (laughs) childhoods? We sat in front of the TV for hours watching crap, waiting for our one three-minute video, which never came on. Definitely. Um, I mean, people still have cable, but a lot of people have, like, streaming services where you can just go on Disney Plus and watch the new show and then... You can always just go back on Disney Plus and watch it whenever you want. You don't have to wait. Yeah, you've to never watch watched it. like a Wednesday at eight thirty show in your life, right? No. Of course not. Like Monday at eight PM was Fresh Prince. And yeah, you couldn't miss it. Like you had to watch it when it was on, otherwise you missed it. You have it good, Eli. You have it very good. Because also we have every streaming service and cable for some weird reason. You might not be able to go to college because we're spending all that money on cable. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, you get your education with a learning channel. You can I think watch it's UHF as much as you want. Yeah, there you go. But getting back to the plot of UHF, uh, George is given the job to be the manager at this UHF station basically because his Uncle Harvey is a degenerate gambler. George goes to a party at his aunt and uncle's house Uncle Harvey's in the other room gambling. He wins a deed to some UHF station. He thinks it's worthless, but his wife is like, ah, I know just who can run it. And we see that George has an imagination and an overactive imagination. So this could be a very good fit for him. Um, I did just want to point out that while they're at that party, George is still wearing the Burger World uniform (laughs) shirt. Like, you know, he got fired earlier that day (laughs) from the fast food restaurant change your shirt like his aunt and uncle have like a very nice home it's kind of like a posh party (laughs) like don't wear the burger world uniform shirt did you notice that eli yes i also noticed that george he is giving the dog punch from the bowl and then when 
I don't know what his aunt's name is. Uh, when she calls him over, he just drops the dog into the punch bowl. It's a great gag. It is a great gag. And apparently that wasn't scripted. The dog was supposed to be, like, drinking the punch and was supposed to, like, do some doggy trick. And the dog just wasn't cooperating. They needed to film the scene and move on. So he just kind of, like, dumped the dog in the punch bowl. And it's way funnier that way. It's just gold every minute of this film. Did we miss the part yet, which was burned into my brain from when I was 12, which was the Twinkie hot dog scene? Yes. Yes, the the Twinkie wiener sandwich, which is what, Joanna? (laughs) It's a close shot of a Twinkies being sliced down the middle, an uncooked hot dog put inside, and then cheese whiz aerosoled on top. Apparently Weird Al ate seven of those in the filming in those and then afterwards became a vegetarian. Yes. I don't know that he became a vegetarian because of that, but maybe? I'm declaring it. I mean, maybe. I love hot dogs and Twinkies, but that combination would probably make me vegetarian too. He also dunks it in milk. Like, he's like while he's eating it, he's kind of just dunking it in what looks to be, like, expired milk. That, like, he does a sniff test and is like, eh, but he, like, drinks it anyway because he's broke. I mean, that's horrifically nauseating on every level. Eli, would you eat a Twinkie Wiener sandwich? Um, I don't really a like hot dogs that much, but without the hot dog, I would definitely eat it. What if your dad said you could have a cell phone if you eat one? <laughs> oh, I would definitely eat that. I would eat that in like 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you would, so I would not make you that offer. <laughs> um, so George gets to the UHF station. He meets the receptionist, Pamela Finkelstein, played by the amazing Fran Drescher. On the commentary... Victoria Jackson calls in and says that uh, it's funny that he cast two women with funny voices. You know, Victoria Jackson kind of has a quirky voice, and so does Fran Drescher. Um, And she wants to be a journalist, but she can't because she's stuck in this dead-end job. But George, being a good manager, makes her a journalist. And I love that they uh, pair her with the cameraman who's a little person so everything is shot at an angle where she's staring down at the camera it did kind of make me think of over the past year having so many zoom meetings and google meets and stuff and when people like have the their laptops at a weird angle and like you're just looking up their nose and that's just never a flattering angle that's basically what uh pamela finkelstein is dealing with a lot of uh shots up her nose also along the way there's a guy who's asking everyone for change Got any change? And what I find really funny is that he's supposed to be a homeless guy, and he's supposed to be asking for your money change, but then if you give him a dollar, he gives you a dollar. So he doesn't want your money. He just wants coins. He wants change. Yeah. I mean, you assume that he's homeless. You don't know that he's homeless. I mean, maybe he's just, like, kind of a slob, and he really likes collecting coins, and he is just looking for change of a dollar. I mean, the joke is that you think he's homeless. You're right. And George gives him change for a dollar, and he also asks for change from R.J. Fletcher, who is the evil villain who runs the network affiliate at uh, Channel 8. And, you know, he's basically just a cartoonish bad guy, but another guy who works at Channel 8 is Stanley Spadowski, the janitor, played by Michael Richards. And I was not a fan of Seinfeld, but like you can see how 
he kind of developed Kramer sort of here in this movie. You watch more Seinfeld than I ever did. Would you agree with that, James? There's a couple times, uh, especially there's a Stanley Spadowski fall that is an absolute Kramer fall. So that fall was not created by the Seinfeld writers. That was definitely something that Michael Richter's had either from this movie or, or from beforehand. Because you could see he was more of a physical comedy actor kind of guy. Yeah, like the the zany, like, moving his arms all around, like they're just, like, wet noodles kind of a thing. I mean, he definitely has that physicality. The teeth that you see in this movie are not real. Those are not Michael Richards' actual teeth. They are huge and hilarious, though. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, he's, at least in this kind of role, he's one of these, like, weirdo guys, like a Christopher Lloyd kind of guy or a, or a Jeff Goldblum, like, like fun weirdo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then RJ fires Stanley for no reason, and George sees RJ's son, like, stealing Stanley's mop, and he feels bad for him. So he offers him a job at his TV station because Stanley can only be a janitor at TV stations, I guess. It's a very specific uh, thing to have on his LinkedIn profile. Um, when they're in the elevator together, Stanley, like, takes the glasses off of George's face and then starts cleaning them with his T-shirt, I guess, to, like, prove what a good janitor he is. He can clean anything. But what would Graham say if he saw someone cleaning a a pair of glasses like that, Eli? I mean, even you say this, too, but you should never clean your glasses with your shirt. You should always use a cloth that is usually given to you by your eye glasses dealer, and you should... (laughs) And you should wipe them down and then clean them. You should never use your shirt because you can get dust on them, which then makes it even harder for you to see. Also, you can scratch the lens with the cotton in your t-shirt. Do you work for lens crafters, Eli? Maybe that could be my future career. (laughs) (laughs) My stepdad is an optometrist and he gives people glasses. And so if he sees you take your glasses off and rub it on your t-shirt, he will yell at you. And so now he has gotten all of the rest of us to kind of like have that kind of gut reaction whenever you see someone do it. Like, no, don't do that. You're scratching the lens. Use the microfiber cloth. And most people just look at us like we're insane. That's right. But, you know, you spend a lot of money on the glasses. You know, you don't want to damage the lens. So then there's a really funny part. There's a show uh, called Town Talk, which uh, stars Weird Al. It's like one of these almost like home access uh, shows. But in this episode, uh, he's working with uh, a, a, I guess what do you call it, a jigsaw? A table saw. A table saw. And <laughs> there's this other guy he's working with. He accidentally like saws part of the guy's finger off. I found this scene very funny. I actually had to like rewind it because I was like, oh, did I miss something? Because it looks like he just sawed off his finger. And this guy is just going like, oh, oops, I messed up a little. And I tried to rewind it, which made it even funnier because, yes, this guy is gushing blood. But he just kind of keeps thinking it's no big deal and just goes like, oh, gee, shucks, oh, no. It's very funny. Well, call me Mr. Butterfingers. <laughs> The guy who plays this role is Emo Phillips, who is a friend of Weird Al's, and they are still friends to this day. Eli, do you remember when we saw Weird Al in concert for the first time, your first Weird Al concert? Yes. Before Weird Al came on stage, Emo Phillips did an opening act. Right. What do you remember about that opening act? I don't remember a lot, but I remember that it made me laugh. It made you laugh so much. 
and you were laughing at the setups for the jokes. Like you hadn't even gotten to the punchline yet and you were cracking up because his voice is just so funny. I remember there was some joke about he was in New York City because we, we saw the show on Long Island. He was like, well, I was in New York City the other day <laughs> and I was walking down the street and like you were just laughing. Like he hadn't gotten to the punchline yet. But it was just so funny watching you listen to this guy. I need to know, out what is the audience like at a Weird Al show? What is the age? What are they guess. dressed as? James, yeah, well, guess. you know, I guess they're probably older. And I guess that it's uh, the male to female ratio is like 95% males at a Weird Al concert. You can guess, but I'll let you answer that, Eli. How wrong am I? I do not know. The crowd is extremely diverse. There's people my age, our age, I guess, who have been fans of Weird Al since the 80s. And there's a younger generation there. There's some older folks there. There's men. There's women. It is a very heterogeneous population. And it's great. Like, you just see all of these people coming together with a shared love of Weird Al. And I just hope he goes on tour again soon because... There's nothing like a Weird Al show. Nothing. Have you seen him in concert, Joanna? I need to. I've always wanted to. You should definitely go. The, the next time he comes on tour, you should definitely make it a point. As should you, James. As should all of our listeners. As should every person in the world. He puts on an amazing show. Can I ask James, what was your reaction to the commercials, like Spatula City? I really want to know, because that was something when I saw that when I was 12, never left my brain, the forefront of my brain. It's the first <laughs> thing I think of every morning when I wake up, Spatula City. <laughs> it's so profoundly funny to me. So I'll tell you exactly what I thought. I, I was thinking, I referenced it earlier. Had this movie come out now, I would have said that this completely ripped off Family Guys. Uh, I was going to say Family Guys uh, commercial of used car guy, that you know, that thing that uh, inflates outside. And Rick and Morty, they have a commercial for, uh, we just sell fake doors, fake doors that go nowhere, yellow doors, big doors, small doors, they go nowhere. And it's just ridiculous. And that's what this is. And they have romantic spatulas for that romantic moment. And the entire time I was watching this film, I didn't really know the background you were talking about, Al, that it was Orion, didn't have any money to advertise it. But as I was watching it from the opening scene of Raiders, even though I was laughing, I just kept going, oh, okay, I get why this film flopped. I get it. Because this is... This is the kind of thing, you would need it to be around a while. It needs that cult classic. And something like Spatula City, the critics are not going to think it's hysterical, or you know, unfortunately. But this commercial was very funny. But I'm shocked that in 1989 this was done, because it was a very like modern, adult swim kind of uh, humor. Well, I mean, it's a parody. It's a parody of commercials. And Weird Al is known for parodying music. Right. And so this movie, he is parodying lots of stuff. He parodies commercials. He parodies talk shows. He parodies movies. He parodies everything. And so the plot of this movie is there, but it's really just a vehicle for Weird Al to do parodies of stuff, of well, things. Okay. It's almost like a Kentucky Fried movie. You know, which is a movie which is not a plot-driven movie. It's just like random things and a random commercial parody and a random movie parody and all of these things. 
I have a question, a random question. Eli, do you know what UHF means? Do you have any idea why this movie is called UHF? UHF stands for Ultra High Frequency. Oh! Mm-hmm. Sit down, brief. That, 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 well, that, that's what it stands for. But I mean, do you no know further what, questions. Yeah, I totally got burned right there. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen not an old uh, TV from like the '90s, but this has to be a uh, TV from like the '70s or '80s. That they would have two dials on them. One was the VHF stations. Usually, it was a big dial because it only had probably up to uh, up to thirteen stations, where it would add like CBS, NBC, Fox, uh, and then maybe uh, the PBS, where Sesame Street would be on. And then, if you went to one station, which you do channel one or U, that's when you could switch to the UHF, and nobody would go to U. But when you went to U, then you could use the second dial on your television and go to all these really weird stations that were like public access and you never knew what it was. So UHF, the reason it's called this is this is the kind of thing that, yes, some millionaire could kind of forget that he owns a UHF station. Uh, One thing with, with you, Joanna, is that the moment he walks in to UHF and he realizes that he's kind of in Wonderland, he's in like a weirdo land here. Do you remember what is in the background? Did you pick up on that? Mr. Ed. That's right, Mr. Ed. And we all got one TV show we each got to pick when we were kids, uh, when it was me, my brother, and sister before Amanda was born. I picked You Can't Do That on Television. My brother picked something. And Joanna picked the last thing of the night. And she would always pick... Mr. Ed. I was a horse girl. Mr. Classic Ed. 80s horse tween. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Eli, this is a show from like the 50s about a talking horse. That in only, black and white. In black and white that only one guy could hear. So the horse would be like, Wilbur, bet on the Red Sox this week. And he'd be like, hey guys, listen to the horse. And when they go to the horse, he wouldn't say anything. And that would be the episode every single time, <laughs> basically. And I had to watch this every single night because Joanna loved seeing horses. I know, it was a really cute horse. Would you watch that show, Eli? Definitely not. But to, <laughs> I bet your sister would. But know. to show how lame UHF was, Mr. Ed was playing right when he walks in. I just wanted to say that. Well, that's kind of the thing, is that when he walks into the station, all they're playing is old reruns, and I think that also kind of lends into the Beverly Hillbillies thing. But then George, with his wild imagination, starts putting on things that are a little bit more interesting and a little bit more different. And he does a live kid show, Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse. But then after his girlfriend Terry dumps him, he gives the show to Stanley Spadowski. And that's really the thing that puts the station on the map because... Everyone loves Stanley Spadowski. He gives this like impassioned speech about how to clean floors, which is a reference to, did you know what movie that was, James? No, but I assumed it was like some war movie or something. No, it's not a war movie. Sports movie, I was guessing. No, it's actually a movie about journalism, Network, which we should definitely do. Oh, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you should definitely do that on the podcast at some point. That's like considered a classic. But because Stanley's such a goofy character... He does the kids' show and makes it a trillion times better than what George was doing. And Eli, you know that whenever Weird Al starts one of his concerts, what is the very first song that you hear? Oh, yeah. You always hear Fun Zone. Right, which is the instrumental theme for Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse. They don't play that live. It's just like, you know, they they play it and then Weird Al comes on stage. 
um, which is a great song. Like Weird Al's not known for his instrumentals, but it's a very catchy song. And if I watch this movie a million times in a row, I will laugh every time at the you get to drink from the fire hose gag. I mean, that is just <laughs> genius. But Joanna, you know, you've had uh, a little dabbling in the funeral home business. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, how are the salad bars at funeral homes? We just put a brand new salad bar into my funeral home. <laughs> at Plots R Us. That was uh, another Spatula City-like ridiculous commercial, but very, very funny. Tired of shoddy funerals, and you they walk, it's a pan through the cemetery, and you see just legs and arms sticking out of the ground. I would refuse to work for a funeral home in my career in the future that buried people like that. On the DVD commentary, Weird Al was like, you know, all those extras that we buried in the ground, we had to pay them extra because, you know, we had to bury them sideways. And I just thought that was funny. Like, even when he's doing the commentary, he's making gags. Um, we should talk about Wheel of Fish, right? I mean, like, we, we can't do an episode about UHF without talking about Wheel of Fish. Wheel of Fish, fish they was used his... real fish. Yeah, oh, you could tell those were real fish. <laughs> or, or, you know, they were so real looking. I was looking at them and I was wondering if they're real or if they're amazing fakes. They were like, can we spend $50,000 on really authentic looking fish or just get any dead fish and nail it to this wall? I figured they did the second one. Right. And then the, the story goes that they brought the fish in first thing in the morning. They got it from the fish market. They had to get it on the wheel and everything. And by the time they got to film that scene, it was later in the day in a room without air conditioning. They filmed in the summer and it was super hot and it smelled terrible in there. Uh, but if anyone ever mentions Red Snapper, all I can think in my Very head is... tasty. Exactly. And I love how he calls her Weaver. Weaver! <laughs> right, the contestant is Phyllis Weaver, and he just keeps calling up, Are you ready, Weaver? It's great. You know, Eli, for our age, there was this science show called Mr. Wizard's World. And then about 20 years ago, there was Bill Nye, the science guy. Is there, like, a science show for kids now? Um, not that I know of. No. Okay, cause so you, have you ever seen anything like the Secrets of the Universe uh, parody? I've seen some Bill Nye episodes. Okay, yeah, because it's kind of like that, but this guy's crazy. Instead of showing you, like, how to make your hair stick up with static electricity in a balloon, he's showing you how to make plutonium, kids. And plutonium, as you know, is usually used for powering uh, DeLorean time machines. But uh, it's also very, very dangerous. Yes. What are what are some of your favorite parodies, Eli? Of the shows? Oh, yeah, like the movies and commercials and TV shows and things like that. I think it's probably Gandhi 2. Mm-hmm, okay. And, and why is that funny? Is it because you had seen Gandhi 1 with Ben Kingsley, the best picture, and you were like, ah, that's a very witty parody reference to that scene? No, because Gandhi is always so, like, peace-loving and whatever. And then in this movie, he's, like, shooting guns and punching bad guys. And also... And he knows how to party. Mm -hmm. He knows how to party, and he also... He orders cow meat, mm -hmm. steak, medium rare. Right. But Hindus are known for being vegan. So that's kind of, like, different from what his culture... They don't eat Canada, that, that's right. Yes, he orders a medium-rare steak right. with two tall blondes. Right, and you know who that guy is who's playing Gandhi? Do you know that, Joanna? 
I don't think so. That is Jay Levy, the co-writer and director, director. of this movie. Mm-hmm. Nice. He, he directed himself in that scene as Gandhi. James, yeah. what did you think of Raul's Wild Kingdom? Oh, I, I did like that one. It was a parody of one of those Jack Hanna kind of guys. So they were and, uh, teaching poodles how to fly. Yeah, it, it, it was it was ridiculous. It, it was very funny. Apparently, he died. Uh, the actor died in a car accident midway through shooting this film. He was going to have a bigger role. Right, because a lot of the people who you see on the TV shows are people that George Newman knows. And he was going to be the guy who brings the package wrong, like earlier in the movie. That's like why he goes to Channel 8. And then at the end of the movie, the poodles were going to have their revenge on him. And so he was going to have like a little bit of an arc, you know, nothing major. But um, yeah, the actor was tragically killed by a drunk driver, like during production. And there's a story, it kind of went around Twitter a few years ago that Weird Al said that he was once offered $5 million to be the spokesman for a beer company, and he didn't do it for a couple of reasons. One is because he has, like, you know, a younger audience and he didn't want to be promoting alcohol, but also, like, this tragedy, like, affected him, and he didn't want to endorse alcohol because uh, this actor was killed by a drunk driver. And the movie is dedicated to him, which is a nice thing. Uh, there's also the Geraldo parody when George is hosting like a talk show. There's a thing where he opens up Al Capone's glove compartment, which was a parody of uh, Geraldo opening up Al Capone's vault. And it was just, um, what was it? Like wine glasses, wine bottles or something? I just well, the point nothing. is, there was, yeah, there was nothing in there. Road and... maps. <laughs> yeah, I remember something similar when we were kids. They were like going to drill into like a section of the pyramid that no one had ever seen. And it was like drilling into a brick and they put a, a small pin-sized camera in there and it was just like an empty little like shoes well it was just basically the size of a shoe box and it was just like an empty little chamber basically it was a hollow brick that they found yeah you you do these things live and you roll the dice um but basically all these parodies are doing well and people are liking u62 and rj's really mad and so he tries to buy the station out from uncle harvey uh, because uncle harvey now owns seventy five thousand dollars to big louie who is his bookie who's I guess like a cross between Blofeld and uh, who was the bad guy in Inspector Gadget? Well, I guess he was a... Dr. Claw. Yeah, he was also a Blofeld parody himself, I guess, right? I mean, like you never see the face, you just hear like the voice and uh, his hand comes off and he makes mm-hmm. it into a meat cleaver, which would be a cool way to make you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Why would you need that? He's like, Dad... I'm just saying it would be cool if I could replace my hand with a knife no yeah but how does the hand fit on there because if you have like a knife cleaver your hand it could only be like metal but then the meat cleaver would it cut through the plastic check beta out mm. mm-hmm. i forgot about that part and there's so much love put into this movie because there's not like 10 seconds of film without a joke crammed into something. And I don't think too many of them are gratuitous. I think most of them are just lovingly, beautifully done. And they range from slapstick to physical, but I appreciated all of them. Yeah, there is like a level of like care and attention to everything. Um, when RJ calls Harvey and like Harvey's in the the pool and he's listening to the radio, that song is Let Me Be Your Hog, which is a Weird Al original. He wanted to get Kung Fu fighting, but uh, couldn't afford it because they had a shoestring budget. So he just recorded a crazy, stupid song. 
because he's weird out. Why not? Yeah, it's beautiful. You could tell this was a labor of love. Yeah. And so the the way that George is going to like save the station is with this telethon. He's going to sell shares in the station so that everyone in the community can buy, you know, a piece of the the station. I was kind of thinking about that, that it kind of doesn't make much sense because like, what if he doesn't raise enough money, then everyone's bought a share in something and now own nothing and he would have to give all that money back. And usually telephones aren't known for collecting cash. You usually make a pledge. You could poke some holes in that, but you're not really supposed to think about it. Yeah, kind of like the end of Billy Madison. Just with, go uh, with it's it. It's just, yeah, come on. So the telephone's raising a lot of money, so RJ kidnaps Stanley because he's the biggest draw. And there is a parody of Rambo. No, it's actually Rambo colon First Blood Part 2. Uh... And I remember when we did our episode on that movie, I said that all I could think about while watching it was the UHF parody. And it's almost not a parody. Like, it's almost exactly what happens in that Rambo movie. I agree with you. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, the movie we're definitely reviewing, uh, Team America World Police. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the, uh, the, the uh, Parker and Stone, what their original idea for that puppet movie was? Yeah, they were just going to do um, The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, they were going to do the exact script for The Day After Tomorrow, both puppets. You know, just to show how ridiculous it, it is. And it kind of reminded me of that because, you know, Rambo 2, you're right. Maybe he doesn't shoot him with an explosive arrow from like two feet away, but he shoots one guy with an explosive arrow. And it's ridiculous. And good for Weird Al for figuring out only four years after that's like the number two film of the year that this is absolutely ridiculous. Did that make you want to watch the Rambo movies, Eli? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You will think the first Rambo movie is uh, very disappointing based on this parody. The first Rambo film is totally different, but the second Rambo film is basically like Weird Al going, and it's basically that for two hours. Yeah, it's just like explosion after explosion. But also, like I was saying earlier about these parodies that have stood the test of time. I mean, they just made a fifth Rambo movie, what, two, three years ago? Something like that? So It was called Last Blood. Right. But, like, you know, the, the franchises that Weird Al parodied are, like, still in the zeitgeist. You know, like, Rambo is still a thing that people know. Even though you've never seen a Rambo movie, you've heard of the Rambo movies, right? Yes. Yeah, see? There you go. He's such a finger on the pulse of the culture, of American pop culture. And I think that trickled into the casting choices of this movie, too. It's just another reason why this is such a labor of love was I feel like even all the small side characters were cast so beautifully and perfectly. I loved R.J. Fletcher's son. Mm-hmm. Who is that guy? He was hilarious and perfect. Fran yeah. Drescher was... Was this the first thing she ever did? She no. was so funny. No, she we saw her in This Is Spinal Tap. Yes. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it is kind of a shame that Victoria Jackson and Michael Richards have shown themselves to not be great human beings, uh, to put it politely. But... They are great in this movie, you know, especially Michael Richards. Who else could be Stanley Spadowski? Yeah, Victoria Jackson, but I think it's basically the role, though. The role was not totally necessary at all. No. And, uh, and she was fine. 
Right. She did have some line uh, in some interview somewhere where she said that, like, she was excited to be in a cult classic. You know, so, like, I think there was an appreciation for the role and everything. Yeah. And then the movie ends with the guy who wants change, R.J. Fletcher, gives him change. And it turns out that he gives him a super rare quarter. He gets $2,000, which he buys the rest of the telethon shares with. And he got a neat Rolex. Right, because RJ wanted a a Rolex for Father's Day and his son got him another kind of watch and he got really mad about it. Yeah. So, like, RJ is basically just, like, humiliated. And there are, like, six different ways he gets his comeuppance at the end, right? Yeah. They show the video where he, like, insults everyone in the town. He also gets, like, kicked in the crotch by the old lady. And then he loses his license. And then Philo, uh, he has accomplished everything he needs to do because he helped uh, George and the UHF guys and he helped bring down RJ. And now, like Poochie, he decides he has to go back to his home planet. Zargon. Right. Good. And um, the tiny guy gets revenge on RJ's son by tripping him. Noodles Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Best name ever. Right, right. Yeah, he, he trips uh, RJ into the mud and then says... Oopsie, did I do that? Yeah. So the good guys win. Did you know what they were parodying at the very, very end of the movie, Eli? No, I had to ask you. Oh, right, right. It was uh, Gone with the Wind. And that's Weird Al's first and maybe only on-screen kiss? Ever in history? Maybe. I'll I'll venture to say yes. I mean, he wasn't known for being like a a leading man in... Lothario. Right. None of his videos has him kiss anyone? I... Don't think so? Eli, can you think of any? Um, He's a very PG guy. Not that that kiss was more than PG, but apparently this movie was rated PG-13. Yes. And Weird Al wanted it to be PG, and I think it was PG-13 for the scene where the thumb is sawed off and there's blood everywhere, Mm -hmm. which Weird Al refused to edit because it was too funny. And also, I think it was the Conan the Librarian part where he splits the guy down the middle. (laughs) Yeah. But there's no blood at all. Right. But I think they just gave him too much of a hard time and he, he refused to edit it. I think also like the the poodles like going That's out the yet window. That's the poodles. But like those three things are not violent. They're not that bad. We just did an episode recently with my sister about Little Monsters, which came out the same year as this movie, 1989, and they drop the s bomb all over that movie, and that movie's rated PG. That's not fair. I mean, they it's obviously a, had it out for Weird Al. I mean, Hollywood. kinda. It's it's a little bit weird. Um. But because we got to the end of the movie, I want to know what you guys think, if it stands the test of time. Eli, because it's your first time on the show, why don't you tell us your thoughts? Does UHF stand the test of time? I think UHF does stand the test of time. A lot of the jokes in the movie, they hold up. Me, obviously, liking Weird Al, I think that this is a great movie. But I think the people who don't know Weird Al, I think they would still like this movie. So I think that this movie stands the test of time. Were you really excited to say that? Yes. Oh, I'm so proud. This is such a proud papa moment. Joanna? As a father, are you really proud right now, Al? As a father, I am beaming with pride. Uh, Joanna, our other very special guest in our nepotism extravaganza, 
Oh, what do you think? Do you think that UHF stands the test of time? Well, I think Eli's presence here today and his call that it does stand the test of time should be all that needs to be said. Because the fact that you agree that this stands the test of time, even though the concept of uh, of a local public access television doesn't exist anymore, the fact that this medium almost doesn't exist anymore, and the fact that a lot of these references predated your very existence, but yet it's still hilarious. Like, do you even know what the Dewey Decimal System is, man? Yeah, I know what it is. All right, never mind. <laughs> You've got smart parents. But I think the fact that so many of the things that they parodied are timeless, like uh, Gandhi, and Indiana Jones and things like that, that stands up. The fact that the only thing that I don't think does the Beverly Hillbillies and the Dire Straits video, I don't think it matters because I think it's top to bottom so hilarious. And it really did strike me as very Simpsons-like humor because it's the closest thing to a cartoon that a live action movie has ever been or could ever be, I think. Maybe something like The Mask or some other really grossly physical slapstick movie. But yeah, I absolutely do think so. I think it's as funny, if not funnier, as when I was Eli's age, seeing it for the first time. I can't believe you have never seen this before, James. I can't believe it. So two votes for Stands the Test of Time. James, as someone who hadn't ever seen this movie before and didn't grow up watching it as a kid, do yeah. you think it stands the test of time? Uh, you know, I'm uh, surprised I'd never seen this film, but can I ask you, and this will be a, a Billy Joel parody, do you remember a line from yours and Amy Levitt's little video you made about Jupiter? Uh, no. Oh, I was very surprised. Was it Billy Joel? It went like this. Whoa. For the la largest planet. <laughs> that is what it was. Yeah. For the largest planet. And yeah, they had a whole song about uh, Jupiter. We have a lot of songs about Jupiter. We had a whole video. <laughs> I think it was like four Mrs. Staub's. Uh, I think it was on a UHF channel. Or something. Um, yeah. You guys are no Weird Al's. Based on that parody. No, we retired right after the Jupiter debacle. <laughs> you know, the thing I really like about this film that I find very interesting is not really whether it stands the test of time, but really, and I've mentioned this before, really how ahead of its time it is. And this is a funny film, but this was not meant to be in 1989. Maybe it could have worked as a, a TV show on Comedy Central or something, but I guess it didn't have the broader appeal, like a naked gun kind of thing, which wasn't a straight up, you know, parody rip. It was just, you know, just kind of broad, funny humor. This film is very funny. Uh, one part that you had mentioned, Eli, uh, Gandhi, I, I just have to mention another thing that this happened to randomly uh, maybe think of this uh, video game series called Civilization. Mm -hmm. Basically, you play as since the dawn of man and all the way to uh, modern times, and you play as one of the world leaders. Gandhi was always the, the leader of uh, people from India, and Gandhi's aggression rating had an aggression of zero. Now, so whenever you negotiated with him, he'd be very peaceful, but there was this weird bug in the game that people have joked about for 30 years that inevitably you would always find yourself in modern times in a nuclear war with Gandhi. 
because it was a little bug that if you did one little thing, it would lower your aggression by one, going below zero, and wound up making him like aggression 999. And so Gandhi winds up being this really ruthless villain, and they've kind of kept it in the Civilization games because it's kind of funny. And I saw Gandhi too. I'm like, it's always been funny to me, like a like a really like Rambo like Gandhi, and you can never really see it except when Civilization was like. Gandhi declares war. I will nuke every city of yours. But now it really was a live version, so I thought it was really funny. By far my number one part of this film, Spatula City. I thought that that was really, really funny. Yay! You know, there are parts of this film I thought were stupid. Uh, there were some that fell flat. I, I did not like the clown at all until he became the sad clown. And then I found that funny. Bobo the Clown? Bobo the Clown. I will also say the opener... It's not amazing. It's funny, but the rest of the film is a lot funnier than that. And if that was a trailer, I'm not sure that's a great trailer. It's wah-wah funny. But, you know, like any comedy film, there's parts that fall flat. But I laughed out loud while sitting alone and watching a film that was uh, 30 years old at this point. Just like Eli said, uh, it's something that you like today. And uh, I've never seen this film myself for the first time. I left. So it stands the test of time in 2021 to see this film for the first time. With the one caveat that you do have to be okay with this kind of humor, I completely would accept if someone watched this film and was like, I did not like that. I would think they have a very different sense of humor than I do, but this is not a universal gem that everyone needs to see. But for my friends, I think most of my friends would like this. So if you haven't seen it and you like this kind of humor, stands the test of time. Al, what Al about you? I'm dying to know what you think. I'm dying to know, <laughs> Al. This film that you brought your son to see, <laughs> his debut, you think it sucks? No, I think it definitely stands the test of time. I am super excited that you said yes, James. I really thought you were going to say, no, UHF stations don't exist anymore, so it doesn't stand the test of time. And if you had said that, I had a perfect retort. I'll do the retort anyway. Imagine that James says, no, it doesn't stand the test of time. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll humor you. No, it doesn't stand the test of time. I'll blah, 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 blah. Very good. Well, James, if you think that, then you're so stupid. You're so stupid. Weaver. I see what you did there. Yeah, this, this movie definitely stands the test of time. It is a comedy classic. It is comedy gold. You could argue that maybe these jokes would work better as just like one-off YouTube clips or TikToks or whatever. And now a UHF station isn't really a thing. And any person can have their own YouTube channel and Instagram live and whatever. But the idea of it works. It was funny then. It's funny now. The things that he was parodying then are still funny. Of course, it stands the test of time. Weird Al stands the test of time. All of this stands the test of time, 100%. I'm so glad that we all agree on this. This is so very exciting. But I have to talk about something else that's very exciting, and I'm going to actually roast myself a little bit Ooh, here. Ooh, self-roast. That's yeah, rare. Yeah, a little bit. So just a little like behind-the-scenes thing. In the past, when people have joined the Five Timers Club, I have been making the sweatshirts. Oh, my God. And James has told me repeatedly off the air, not on the podcast because he's polite like that, but that I have done a terrible, 
terrible job with the design of these sweatshirts. There's a little hyperbole here. No, <laughs> you have told you have told me that many times. I've never said anything like that. All I said was that I would prefer we have the hoodies with the zipper in the front, and you said that doesn't exist where you can make a hoodie that has the logo in the front. That is what you told me. No, what I said was that you can't order those in like one-offs. You can order them in bulk, but because how many members of the Five Timers Club do we have, it's really hard to do and you can only order them one at a time. You said, I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. These sweatshirts exist. You see them all the time. I said, all right, James, you think you can do a better job than me? Go for it. We know that the next person who's going to join the Five Timers Club is you, Joanna, oh your God. sister. So we said that, James, you were going to get the hoodie. You were going to do a much better job than I ever did with the Where's hoodie. hoodie. Where's my hoodie? So now roast me, James. Let's see how badly you own me. James got you the hoodie. You're his sister. He was in charge of this. Let's see the hoodie the that face. you have for your sister. I can't wait to see how much better of a job you did. Let's see it, James. This was never discussed. Uh, Al has bought every hoodie. This was discussed many times. Can I have a hoodie? Can you just go here? I'll give you. you Bring me a... Okay. I'll give you a hoodie. I don't have a hoodie to go home with. Wait, wait. James, did you not get your sister a hoodie as we discussed repeatedly? I'm your flesh and blood. Where's the hoodie? (laughs) It's coming for the sixth time. (gasps) James... Wait, so what am I going to do for the sixth show? You're going to get a hoodie. Am I going to get two hoodies? Maybe. Um, It seems like you're getting zero hoodies. I would do Team America World Police with you fools, and then I want my hoodie. You got it. You certainly deserve it. This is shameful, James. You ought to be ashamed. No, I'm okay. We'll get out of the sixth one. (laughs) (laughs) Is it going to have the old Test of Time logo or the new Back to the Future one? I want one of each, bitches. (laughs) I mean, if James is in charge, God only knows what you're going to get. I don't know. Joanna, in spite of the fact that you're leaving here without a Five Timers Club hoodie, thank you for coming back. Thank you for being on the show. It's always so great having you on the show. Eli, thank you for coming on for the very first time. You were awesome. Did you have fun? Yes, I did. It is my pleasure. Aww. It was certainly our pleasure having you, Eli. Will you come back on the show again? Sure. Do you have a movie in mind for your next time? Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay, well, think about it. I mean, we live in the same house, so you can tell me literally at any time. Yes. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about Escape from New York, the 1980s movie where New York is a prison starring Kurt Russell as the one-eyed Snake Plissken. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, and I am excited to re-watch that movie. But as always, we want to hear from you, the listeners. Write to us about your favorite Weird Al parodies from this movie, or not, just in general. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We love hearing from you. You can also email us, thetestoftimepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.